Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Well, good morning, T North. It's good to be with you in this way. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 12 to 26. Uh, We're continuing in our series a a beautiful narrative, looking at Luke's account of Jesus' life and his ministry and how that will encourage us to follow after him. Oftentimes, we're put in positions where we're needing to go to other people for help, Uh, whether that be we're in the grocery store and we can't find the artichokes, and so we ask a, a grocery attendant to help us out, or our Amazon order is late or it got missing in the mail, so we reach out to customer service to help us out. Or we've, we've misplaced our car keys and so we ask our spouse to help us out. Uh, we need to go to other people for help. And, and so Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, earlier in, in the gospel, presents himself as the promised Messiah who has come to help his people with their deeper and more pressing issues. Uh, but Jesus tells his audience that it's only those who come to him in faith that will receive his help. But oftentimes, we convince ourselves with bad reasons why we shouldn't go to Jesus. Sometimes we tell ourselves that we think he's too far removed from our present situation, uh, that he's busy with other things. Uh, we convince ourselves that we're, we're, we're in too deep, and so we're ashamed, we're embarrassed to go to Jesus. Or we think that our issues aren't significant enough, they're too small for Jesus to care about. But the reality is that Jesus does care. And so that's why we should always go to him because he won't ever turn us away. Because in turning us away, it would be inconsistent with his character. But, but Jesus cares for us. And that's why we go to him boldly with faith. And so in the passage today, Luke tells us of two different people who go to Jesus. And they go to Jesus full of faith. And so in the passage, we will see why, uh, why there's good reasons, two good reasons, why we should always go to Jesus in faith. And when we do, we'll find that Jesus helps us, not just with surface issues, but he helps us with the deep and the, the real problems in our hearts. And so we go to him in faith. And so as we look to the word this morning, let's spend a moment going to him in faith, in prayer, asking for his spirit to be with us, to help us this morning. So pray with me, even right now. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this time that we can spend in your word. And we know that as we come to you, even as we'll see this morning, as we come to you in faith, 
that you meet us, that you are ready to help us. And so we come to you in prayer, even right now, asking that you would be with us, help us to understand your word, uh, that we might grow in our love for you. So be with us this morning, help us to treasure your word, help us to, to treasure you more. We pray all of this knowing that you will answer these prayers because we're praying according to your will. And so we pray all of these things confidently in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So this morning we'll see that there's two great reasons why we should go to Jesus in faith. And the first reason is Jesus is willing to restore us. Take a look at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and the great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so a man full of leprosy comes from outside of the city to meet Jesus as he's ministering in the city. Now, the Old Testament law was very clear how those who had leprosy were supposed to conduct themselves and how they were supposed to act. Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous, or who has a discharge in everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And then in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 to 46 says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Stephen Whitmer describes the, the leprous person like this. Lepers were instructed to act like funeral mourners because they were mourning their own condition which was a kind of living death. Ritually unclean, they were required to stay outside of the camp, cut off from the community and from God's holy presence in the tabernacle. This disease, leprosy, was a, was a physical reminder of the, the seriousness of sin, separation from God and separation from God's people. In the same way that this disease separated this man from God's community, sin separates us from him and worship of God and from God's 
people. And the only person who can solve this sin problem is Jesus Christ. And that's why we run to him in faith. That's why we always go to Jesus. Look at the way that this man approaches Jesus. Well, verse 12, he he falls on his face and he says, Lord, just like Peter in the passage before, Luke chapter 5, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This man, just like Peter, recognized who he was talking to, that he is in front of and in the midst of God himself. And so he he says this as an act of faith. The leper says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And so verse 13, Jesus sees this man's faith and he responds and, and Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. You can almost imagine the disciples and those who are around Jesus saying, no, don't touch him. He's unclean. See, right now we're living in a situation, in circumstances where we're called to to socially distance ourselves from other people. See, this wasn't a a new idea. The, The Old Testament told us how we ought to act and how we ought to separate ourselves from those who had leprosy. So when Jesus touches this man, he's breaking all of the social distancing rules. See, by touching an unclean person, you were risking that you became unclean yourself. But with Jesus, something else happens. See, Jesus doesn't become unclean. But the unclean leper becomes clean. See, Jesus doesn't become unclean, but he cleanses the unclean leper. He tells the leper, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy leaves the man. See, Jesus isn't defiled by our uncleanliness. Instead, he cleanses us willingly. And so to the unbeliever, you need to understand that there's nothing too unclean for Jesus to deal with. See, the the devil, he uses shame as a powerful tool to keep you away from Jesus. But Jesus is able to cleanse you if you come to him in faith. And to the believer, likewise, the, the, the devil will use shame and accuse you of hypocrisy, saying that, that you say you're a Christian, but, but you're still sinning. But we have to understand that the reality in which we stand as Christians is that we have been cleansed. We are positionally righteous before God. And this is a, a doctrine called justification that the penalty of sin has been satisfied by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. See, Jesus has cleansed us, but he's continuing to cleanse us. By the power of the Spirit, he prunes us and, and sanctifies us, and he does this all so that we can bear more fruit for his glory. John chapter 15, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. 
Verse three, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus is, is telling his disciples, you are clean. And the work that the spirit does in you is to sanctify you, is to prune you so that you might bear even more fruit for his glory. And so Jesus, having cleansed this man, gives the guy instructions, telling him to, to go to the priest so that he can be restored into full fellowship. See, the man had come to Jesus simply to be healed from a disease that would have eventually killed him. But like any good doctor, Jesus addresses not just the symptom, but the cause, the deeper issue. See, the man wasn't just sick, but he was outside of God's people. He was outside the camp. But now, having been cleansed by Jesus, he can go and worship. He can go to the temple. He can celebrate the Sabbath with his family. He can be with God's people. He's no longer outside of the camp. See, Jesus has the power to restore us. And he does this for anyone who comes to him in faith. Those who were once outside considered aliens or strangers, Jesus brings in and near to him by his work. And you know why he can do this? Do you know why he can bring those who were once outside and brings them in to God's people? It's because Jesus himself took our place and went outside of the camp where we deserve to be. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 says this, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify people through his own blood. Jesus suffered and died like a criminal. He suffered outside of the camp so that we could be restored to God, that we could have right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. That by his work, we've been given a new family, the church. And we understand that, that the church isn't perfect because we're made up of a people that are still being transformed. But as we walk in step with the Spirit, as we look for ways to, to love one another practically, the church becomes a beautiful thing. See, Paul says that the church becomes a display of God's glory to the watching world. And so we were brought in to one another, especially during times like today, times like these days, when so many people are in conflict with one another. This is a powerful reality for us, that the only real source of restored fellowship and reconciliation is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 to 16 says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, the work of Jesus Christ tears down the hostility that was between me and others. 
God's work not only reconciles us to God and gives us peace with God, but gives us peace with one another. And so Jesus restores this man. He restores us. And then, he, and then the news of Jesus continues to spread. Verse 15 But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus, he would withdraw himself to desolate places to pray. So as as the news of Jesus continues to spread, many people come to see him, but they come to see him only to be healed. And so Jesus, he withdraws himself because he understands that these people have totally missed the point. See, just like when Jesus told the people that I am the bread of life, they, they thought that Jesus was asking them to eat him. Or when you tell your kid, don't draw on the wall, and then you find them drawing on the couch. Or when, when God reveals through uh, the transfiguration of Jesus to, to, to his disciples that this is my son, And then Peter turns around and says, let's build a tent. They totally miss the point. See, the healing of the leper was a a display that Jesus has come to restore his people to right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. So the people came to Jesus just for healing. They've missed the point. And so Jesus withdraws himself to desolate places to pray. And so if Jesus needs to get away to focus and to to pray and to be with the Lord, how much more do we need to do that? We must commit to regularly getting alone with God and spending time with him in the word and in prayer. We ask the spirit for guidance and for help so that we can persevere in this journey as believers. And we do this by drawing near to Jesus through faith-filled prayer. We draw near to him in faith-filled prayer. And so we see that when we come to Jesus in faith, he is willing to restore us. So that's one great reason why we should come to Jesus in faith. But we have another one, that Jesus has authority to forgive us. Take a look at verse 17. On one of those days, he was teaching And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what had been lying, what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Verse 26, an amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So when we come to Jesus in faith, he's willing to restore us. But as we see in this part of the passage, he also has the authority to forgive us. See, Jesus is teaching a group of, of Pharisees and scribes. And Luke tells us, verse 17, that the power of the Lord is with him to heal. Luke is telling us that something big is about to go down. See, we don't know what, what Jesus is teaching. So Luke, just like last week, doesn't focus on necessarily the teaching of Jesus because he wants us to focus on what comes next. Verse 18, a group of, of guys bring their paralyzed friends and they're trying to get to Jesus. They're trying to get to Jesus. But first, they can't get in through the main entrance because of the great crowd because the crowd is blocking the entrance. And you know who's blocking the entrance? The Pharisees and the scribes. Those whom God has given the responsibility to handle God's word and to lead other people to God and to guide God's people into God's presence. The Pharisees and scribes who were given this responsibility are actually blocking access to Jesus. See, Luke is giving us a subtle commentary on how these religious leaders failed in their God-given task. See, elders and leaders in the church should be conducting themselves exactly the opposite way. The role of the pastor is not to prioritize himself, but is to serve those in need and to bring people to Jesus, to make access to Jesus easier. To, to display Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And so they can't get through the main entrance, so they decide they, they're going to go on to the roof. And they start removing tiles, and then they lower their friend through the roof into the midst of Jesus. See, these are our good friends. They know what Jesus can do, and they know that if they bring their friend to Jesus, that Jesus will be able to help him. And they don't let any of the obstacles that they face, whether it be the, the crowded entrance or even the roof, they don't let any of those obstacles get in their way because they want their friend to meet Jesus. And so church, Christian, this should be us. Just like the friend of the paralyzed man, we know what Jesus can do. And so we strive and we seek to bring other people before Jesus Christ. And we do this by helping them overcome the obstacles that might be in their way. Obstacles to faith like ignorance. Some people just simply have never heard of Jesus Christ. And so we tell them about him. Some people have practical needs that, that they're facing real needs because of the brokenness of the world. And so we help meet those needs. Some of them have the fear of man. They, they're embarrassed of what friends and family might think should they turn to Jesus because faith by nature is public. Some have wrong presuppositions that they've come to false conclusions or they have false ideas of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he came to do and what he said. And so we help them. 
others, they just have pride. They just don't see their need for Jesus. And so with boldness, gentleness, and respect, we need to address these obstacles. We reason with them, but we also model the practical and compelling love of Jesus and his grace towards them by helping meet their needs. And we do these things because we want to address these obstacles. We want to help them come to Jesus, the only one who can really help them with their problems. And so they lower the man before Jesus. In verse 20, Jesus, he sees this demonstration of faith and he responds saying, man, your sins are forgiven you. See, you don't want to miss this. He doesn't mention the paralysis at all at first. See, Jesus sees that this man needs his sin forgiven more than his body healed. That's what Jesus takes care of first. Just like when he healed the leper, Jesus is looking at the deeper issue, the deeper issue of sin. And this man's deeper issue is our issue as well. Romans 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is our common problem as humanity, that we've fallen short of the glory of God by sinning against him. But the good news is that Jesus has the authority to forgive us should we come to him in faith. And so he invites us to come before him. And so for us as Christians, as believers, the reality is that we stand in a position of forgiveness, that we have been forgiven. And that makes us a blessed people. Forgiveness, having that reality of forgiveness makes us a blessed people. Psalm 32 verse 1, Blessed is the man whom the Lord forgives, whose iniquity is not counted against them. See, no matter what circumstances we face, no matter the situation that we are in as believers, we're always blessed because we stand in the forgiveness of God. And for the unbeliever, with humility and with respect, I say this, that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from coming to him in faith, and apart from the forgiveness that he alone offers, the consequence is eternal separation from God. But Jesus has the authority to forgive you. Remember what Jesus says to the man, man, your sins are forgiven you. Today, in that moment, Jesus forgives him. And so unbeliever, this, this day, this moment could be your day, could be your moment. But Jesus requires that you come to him in repentance and faith. And so don't wait. Turn to him in faith. He has the authority to forgive you. So Jesus forgives the man. And then in verse 21, we see that the audience begins to question Jesus in their hearts. Say They say, only God can forgive sins. And, and they're right about that. That is a, a true fact. Only God can legitimately forgive the sin in our hearts. Here's what Thabiti says. What they get wrong is not their assumption about God forgiving sins. See, see, they're right that only God can forgive sins. What they get wrong, though, is their assumption that Jesus is not God. 
And so Jesus, he points out that unlike the, the paralytic and his friends, that the Pharisees and the scribes, the, the teachers of the scripture, don't have faith. They, they lack it. They don't believe that Jesus is God. So he turns to them and he says, why do you question in your hearts? See, this question itself should have proved to them that Jesus is God. See, the thing is, Jesus read their minds. They were questioning in their hearts. He read their mind and he read their thoughts and exposed them. That itself should have proved to them that he is God because only God knows the heart. We don't know each other's hearts. Only God knows the heart. Jesus proved even in that moment that he is who he said he was. Only God can know our hearts. See, the Pharisees and the scribes, they have God in in the flesh. They have God right in their midst, but they miss him. They can't see him. They can't see him at all. And then verse 23, so Jesus asks them, which is easier to say? Is it easier to say your, your sins are forgiven you or to rise and walk? So what Jesus is saying here is that anyone can say, I forgive you, I forgive you, but, but it's impossible to verify that reality in the heart of other people. See, it's another thing to tell a paralytic, get up and walk and actually have the power to back it up. So either you are God and you can forgive sins and heal the paralytic, or you can't and your words are just empty. So Jesus turns to the paralytic and tells him to rise and to go home. And Jesus says that he's doing this because, verse 24, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What happens? The paralytic immediately, just like the leper, immediately gets up, picks up his things, glorifies God and goes home. Just like the healing of the leper pointed to the deeper reality that Jesus has come to restore us in right relationship to God and to others, the healing of the paralytic pointed to the fact, the reality that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. See, Jesus gave the watching audience physical handles for what he had come to do spiritually. Jesus gave them a physical reminder of what he does spiritually. And and Jesus does this for us as well. He has given us physical reminders of his authority to forgive sins. Just like marriage vows, the words contained in those promises are accompanied by Uh, by affection and signs of physical affection, just like words there are accompanied by affection, God's promise of forgiveness is accompanied by a physical reminder. God's promise of forgiveness is accompanied by a physical reminder. Every time we take communion, every time we hold the bread and the wine in our hands, every time we we take it together. And, and I look forward to that, to that day when we can gather together and take communion together. But every time we do that, we hold in our hands a physical reminder of the reality of God's forgiveness. See, Tim Chester says it this way. All of our senses are thus engaged so that our frail faith might be nurtured. 
See, you might be full of doubt or guilt or just spiritual numbness, but here is God's promise. You hold it in your hands. You put it to your lips. This is God's kindness to you. This is God's commitment to you. This is God's yes to you in Christ. The forgiveness of sin is not just something I feel. It's an objective reality that took place at the cross. And we have that promise represented in bread and wine. Every time we take communion, it's a physical reminder of what God has done for us spiritually. That he's forgiven us, that we've been redeemed, that we've been made a part of his people. And Jesus does this in his kindness. He gives us physical reminders. And so this sign of of raising the paralytic to to helping him, healing him so that he can walk again was a sign that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. And he proved once for all that he, he was God even by doing this. And we see their reaction, verse 26. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Notice what happens though. Notice what happens in their reaction that they're amazed by what they're amazed by what they have seen but they have completely missed the point see Jesus is right in front of him and he's just proven to them that he can forgive sins that he is God that he can forgive their sins notice that none of them go to Jesus in faith that not one of them turns to Jesus and asks for forgiveness for themselves They just look at the sign and they're awed by it, but they do nothing. They see the miracle, but they don't respond in faith. And this this is sad because they miss out on an amazing gift. They miss out on forgiveness. They miss out on being restored back into God's people. Just like the crowds after the healing of the leper, The the Pharisees and the scribes, they saw the miracle, but they never go to Jesus in faith. But the leper and the paralytic, they went to Jesus full of faith and they received help. They received help for for their real and deep issues, not just for the surface things, but they were restored, they were forgiven. So like the leper and the paralytic, We go to Jesus in faith. Why? Two great reasons we've already seen. He is willing to restore us and he has the authority to forgive us. And so we go to Jesus in faith. In fact, this is who we are as disciples. We are those who go to Jesus in faith, that we're near to him, that we stay with him. See, when when the world looked at at Peter and and some of the other disciples, they said this about them. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. We have two great reasons to go to Jesus. So let's go to him in faith. And as we do so, let's pray that as the world looks at us as disciples, that they would say the same thing about us that they would look on us and recognize that we have been with Jesus. So let's pray that that would be true of us, even today. Let's pray. 
And Father, we, we, we come to you right now in, even in this expression of faith that you've invited us before you, uh, not because we've done anything to earn access, but because Jesus Christ has, has restored us to you, that we have peace with you, that we have peace with one another but we've also been forgiven, that we've been counted righteous before you. Father, we admit at times our faith is weak and it's frail and we, we, we falter. And so we ask even right now that you'd help us by your spirit, even for the things that we've heard today, that we, we know that there's great reasons for us to go to Jesus in faith. And so help us by your spirit to take this word. Would you cause it to take deep root in our hearts that even today, this week, that it would bear much fruit in our lives, that it would bear greater faith, that it would cause us to draw nearer to Jesus. Be with us. We thank you for this time. We pray that you'd continue to minister to us through your word, even this week, as your spirit reminds us of these truths. We're thankful, and we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.